From netball to rugby, from uni captain to playing professionally for Wasps ladies and securing multiple England ladies national contracts, Claudia's trajectory in her sport and her career has been steep and fast. In late 2021, heartbreak occurred when she had a serious injury to her neck, which threatened to end her very promising career. Yes, yeah, so I was in a training session um, just before the autumn internationals actually started. I got a ball from the line out on our five metre. So I get tackled, probably my own fault. I, I fought back against it. I knew I was so close to the try line. I think because I delay it, then all the forwards then join and I just get like mushed. Because I was driving forward, head tucked, that all the, the weight and the pressure and everything came through my head and sort of yeah. compressed my neck to my chest. It was painful from the get-go and I remember being like, oh, my neck. Everyone stopped, backed off, physios and whatever came over. We just thought it was a soft tissue thing, so, yeah. you know, as is relatively standard in rugby. We got an MRI scan pretty quickly. And the MRI scan, it's really bizarre. Like, the, it just doesn't look right. That's a very quick decision for the surgeon. He was like, you can't play. Claudia's inspiring story, an amazing journey now, it's absolutely not to be missed. Before you start this episode, please can you click subscribe below and follow our social handles in the description. It's a massive help and it keeps you up to date with all the exciting announcements from the podcast. So, Claudia, thanks for coming on. Thanks for seeing us. Thanks for having me. I'm excited busy. to be here. <laughs> yeah, thanks very much for coming in. Um, so, I'm going to throw you a challenge first off. We do it with everyone that comes in. Okay. Um, so, I hope you're ready for it. So I'm going to give you like a minute, maybe two minutes tops, just to talk about Claudia from birth to now. <laughs> Literally start to where you are now. Um, what it will force you to do is because you've got kind of like one or two minutes, it will force you to kind of pick out maybe key parts yeah. um, rather than just everything about one one particular element. So you up for the challenge? Yeah. Yeah, take it, it from start to, start, to, start to present day, yeah? Take yeah. a deep breath. <laughs> Go on, you crack on. Here's your two minutes. Okay, um, so born into my family, I've got two older brothers um, and a younger sister that came along two years after and that sort of stole my limelight probably from the beginning. <laughs> um, right, little nuisance. But um, yeah, grew up incredibly sporty, loved every sport imaginable, really, just stuck my head into everything. Actually, ironically, I think my mum once told me, I think when I was about seven, that I wasn't as good as my brothers because I just wasn't bothered, like I couldn't be bothered to play sport. Why wasn't I doing this? Why wasn't I doing that? And I was like... Yeah. All right, here we go then. I, yeah. I'll give it all a go. Competitive. And I <laughs> drew myself in, yeah, yeah. and I've, I'm probably the most competitive out of all of us. Well, it's, a, it's a tough call to make. <laughs> um, but, yeah, played every sport. Loved school as well, so it was always a bit of a, a toss-up between the two. Um, but tried everything and then put off rugby. Didn't want to try it, didn't want to give it a go because I thought it was too boyish. I was, um, you know, all of those sort of... Stereotype, stereotypes associated with rugby didn't want to be associated with them um, and then my mum actually died when I was 17 and I kind of went through well actually I was just 18 and I kind of went through a bit of a, a weird place it was a bit of a down in the dumps a bit rubbish um, and then had a year out and then went to uni and was like alright I'm just going to give it a go give something totally new a go and then came into rugby loved it and then sort of fast forward a couple of years three years later I was getting my first cap for England and then got my contract the following summer. So it all became pretty quick. Go, yeah. go, go from then, yeah. And then a couple of injuries, bits and pieces, but here we are now. Uh, 19 caps for England. Um, Wasp woman captain, which is 
my biggest accolade, I think. That was really cool. Um, but not currently playing rugby because I've got an injury. So all over the place, ups and downs. <laughs> ups and downs, and that brings us to present day. So plenty yeah. of stuff to talk about and dig into, I think. Yeah, so, well... <laughs> so you mentioned about your kind of upbringing and stuff, like, and family. Yeah. Um, what was that all about? What was that like? Yeah, that was hugely important. So I was, I was the sort of kid that... Um, you know, we'd beg my parents to go on a sleepover, and then the second I arrived at a sleepover, I'd be like, oh, no, what are my family doing back home? Like, I wanna, I didn't want to miss out on that, didn't want to be left out or whatever they were doing. So, um, yeah, always really got on my family, loved, like, little outings. One of my favourite memories was, um, I think, my parents had gone out, and they called us up, and we were all at home, and they called us, and we were like, oh, everybody put something warm on, uh, we're going out, and it's Friday. And we were like, oh, where are we going, where are we going? Wouldn't tell us. And um, we all went out, and we went to this, like, banger car racing nice, evening. We yeah. just watched loads of cars, like basically smashing it into each other. Yeah. yeah, it was incredible. <laughs> um, but yeah, we always did that. So as a family, we're always out doing bits and pieces, um, really close. We still go out, like, still go out and party together, So, which is quite good fun. People always find that quite interesting in a nightclub. Yeah. Like, who are you here with? Oh, well, my brother's over there, my other brother's here, my sister's over there. <laughs> yeah, people stay away then, won't they? Yeah. You like being watched. <laughs> Got your own private um, security. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's cool. Like, I was always the one that got chucked in goal and pelted footballs out or, um, you know, playing cricket in the garden or whatever it was. So we've always always played sports, always, yeah, always spent loads of time together. So it sounds like you've got quite a competitive nature anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, how was that with your brothers and um, sisters and stuff like that? Yeah, and no, I think my... Because they're quite sporty as well, right? Yeah, they yeah. are all really sporty. My, we all play rugby. We've all played rugby at different times. Um, I think my brothers would love to claim they've taught me everything I know. But we <laughs> are they older or younger? They're both older. older. Yeah. Okay. Um, You're always going to get that then. Yeah, yeah. obviously. Um, but yeah, I think we always had a rugby ball with us, so we'd go to the beach, or go to the park, or whatever it was. We always had a rugby ball, um, unless it was like my mum, my sister, me, and then we might have a netball with us. Yeah. Um, or we play a bit of rounders or something like that. But um, yeah, always messing around. We used to play. We used to play slow motion rugby in the lounge, which I mean really okay. isn't a thing. We used to put on banana is pancakes. That a thing? No, I don't think it's a thing, is it? But we used to put on banana pancakes by Jack Johnson. Yeah. Always did it. And then we'd play slow motion rugby and we'd just like pick each other up and like slam dunk each other into like the sofas and yeah, yeah. <laughs> stuff like that. Um like pretend to score tries and whatever, but no. So I remember it. doing that sort of stuff, but I did it with wrestling. Yeah. Wrestling, it was <laughs> doing moves. It was doing moves onto the sofa or off the arm of the sofa that was like this. Like yeah. My mum and dad had this big sofa. It was horrible. <laughs> They're probably my mum listens to these, so sorry mum. But um it was really low and then the, the sides were like this high, so you couldn't put arms on it. I don't know why it was just some old, you just, like, get weird sofa. Into it, like... Yeah, and we, I used to just stand like at the top and just start elbow dropping onto the sofa <laughs> and doing suplexes and loads of different things. So yeah, it wasn't rugby, but I get I get what you're saying there. Yeah, no, you've got as kids you come up with all sorts of things, don't you? Yeah, you're always messing around, coming up with silly. It games felt like I was in a ring at the time. Yeah. I look back now and I think, crikey, I was so stupid. <laughs> I think I had my like my first injury. I split my chin open when I was four because we were all up on a, in a balcony with my cousins in Greece and we were playing some, like, fight off the imaginary pirates. We were all fighting off these pirates. <laughs> and my brother, who was, what, six years older than me, jumped off the bunk bed onto the floor and I thought, oh, I can do that too. Jumped off. Didn't obviously go so well as a four-year-old. Yeah. Smashed my chin on the straight floor. Straight on the chin. I was straight into hospital for stitches. Watch it four. <laughs> Starting early then. So, yeah, exactly. That's you, how that's how competitive I am. Oh, you can do that. I can do that too. Like, yeah, four. <laughs> crikey, I can't remember when I was four. So long ago. So when did so we, we obviously in coming doing these pods, we we have a uh, do a little bit of research and find out a bit about you and stuff. So yeah. You 
When did you move to Dubai? So uh, you found you went to Dubai, yeah? Yeah, so I moved when I was 12. So I was okay. there from 12 to 16. So what was the whole reason for that? Uh, it's just my dad's job moved out there. Okay. Um, yeah, total change of scenery. I loved it. I was at a, um, at the time, I was at an all-girls grammar school, um, which I didn't really enjoy. I went from primary school where probably most of my best mates were boys, yeah. out playing, stuck in the mud or football or whatever it, at lunch times. And suddenly I was in this like all-girls grammar school where you just sort of like sit and chat at break time. And I okay. was like, what am I supposed to do with all this like energy that I have that normally I run yeah. around with? Like, um, so I wasn't really enjoying that particular school for the year. Um, and then obviously my dad was like, well, we might move to Dubai. And I was like, yeah, let's go. Like, yeah. I was, you know, we were all on to my parents. Um, what did your dad do? He works in property development. So okay. he was, it makes sense being out in Dubai. Yeah. Um, sort of property development, a bit of urban development, that sort of thing. So he sort of traveled all over the place working. Um, but yeah, so that was a that was a change of scenery. But I mean, I loved it out there. It's a pretty. What is cool Dubai? Lifestyle. I mean, I've not ever been to Dubai, and it's somewhere where I look and I think a lot of people rave about it. Yeah. And I look at it and I think I'm not really sure whether it's somewhere I'd want to go. <laughs> um, there's a lot of rules and stuff, isn't there? Around like you yeah. can't do certain things and. Yeah, there's a fair amount of rules. I think it's more about um, respecting the local culture, and even though there's a huge like, expat presence, it's still. You know, this is still very much like our country and this is the way okay. we do things. So like, you're very welcome here, but as long as you respect, you know, the way we live our lives and whatever. So yeah, there are rules. I think it, the media always makes it sound worse than it actually yeah, no, is. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, so correct me if I'm wrong, but like, is, you can't hold hands in the public or something? Like, is that a thing? Um, I think, yeah, in theory, yeah. yes. Um, but like, as the law is written, Do they enforce you can't stuff, really, like, or? show no. effect. I think, oh, you're not supposed to show affection. I'm not really sure, but people still do. I mean, you walk okay. down the malls and there's people holding hands. It's not an issue. Yeah. Um, but like you're supposed to cover up, so you're supposed to like you're not really supposed to have like too much skin showing. Is that just um, women? Or is no, that kind of across well? the board, yeah. yeah. Um, but then, so like if we went to the mall, you might wear like a jeans and a, and a vest or a t-shirt and shorts. We wouldn't yeah. wear like a skimpy vest and a pair of short okay. shorts. Like just a bit. You would feel out of place as well because yeah. people have just got more clothes on. What's it like over there? Is it like a kind of party culture over there? Is it more? <laughs> what, what's the? Um, yeah, I think. Is a little, I think people grow up quite quickly in Dubai. Um, it's quite safe. Well, I felt like it was quite a safe place. Yeah. Um, so from quite a young age, you're sort of with your friends, getting taxis to the beach, going to the mall. Okay. Um, do, maybe there's quite an American influence, so potentially okay. that's quite influential. So you went there when you were how old? 12. 12 till? 16. Okay. Yeah. So that's quite a big four years yeah, growing so up, like isn't it? 15, 16, you're going to house parties. and. Um, so what were you doing in Dubai? Same thing. Just in school, yeah, okay. just in school. So, um, yeah, playing sports, going to school. I remember my first like PE lesson absolutely dying because it was September and we were out playing netball on the courts and you can imagine it's like, I don't know, between so 35 like and 40 degrees, degrees yeah. yeah. And I was like, how are people surviving this? Like Even like the two laps around the netball court was like killing me off and everyone was like, it's okay, you'll get used to it, you'll get used to it. Yeah, so, all right. I don't think so. Give me two years now, mate. from like minus two. Yeah. <laughs> so is that when you started playing netball? Because you were netball before rugby. No, yes, yeah, so um, yeah, I mean, I played pretty much everything, but yeah, I started playing netball probably when I was um, in year five, so what's that, eight, something? Yeah. Eight, nine, something like that? Nine, nine. Um, yeah. And I can remember getting into the netball A team um, at school, and I was so chuffed, I was so proud you of goal myself. Attack. Goal, goal attack. Goal attack. Centre. That's the only attack. one that I know. Yeah. <laughs> goal attack, WA. goal defence. They're quite self-explanatory, yeah. aren't they? 
Um, but no, I was like a centre wing attack. And um, yeah, I ran home. We didn't live far from the school, but I like, ran home through the alleyway, got to the door. My mum opened the door and she sung like a, a song to me. She used to call me Pussycat. So she was like, uh, Pussycat, Pussycat, where have you been? I was like, I've been playing centre on the 18. And I was like, <laughs> so excited. I was like, wow, it's just fitted with this song. Um, and I, well, I was so, it's probably like the first memory I have of being like, super proud of something that I'd achieved yeah. it was just getting into the netball 18 yeah. school yeah things like you look um, back at those things and, and you do look back fondly on it my, my son's playing football he's just changed teams at the minute and my mum is clearing out one of the rooms and she's saved all of my old cuttings of when I used to play football in the town and you know you get your headlines yeah. don't you in the chronicle on the chronicle which is a local paper like your yeah. town paper you know at, curtain does a treble or, or a hat trick or whatever it is and she's given me all this stuff over like a couple of month period and he's just started playing for a team called Jets only literally last week and last and two days ago she gave me a picture of me in the Chronicle playing for Jets at oh, 11 wow. in 1999 which is showing my age a bit 34 um, but it's yeah like a headline and a nice picture and it's just nice to have had a show but, that, but I yeah. didn't even remember that until I, until I had that presented to me and sort of said look this is what you he were doing. Same thing as I well, completely yeah. forgot that I play for Jets and he's just joined Jets. And I was like, wow, he's like two years kind of doing yeah. that. And I was at Jets at like five years. And I'm like, oh, really, Dad? Did you play for Jets? I was like, yeah, yeah. He went, what, for my manager? I was like, probably not. Yeah. Because he was two years <laughs> he was two years under me at school. But yeah, same concept. Here's a picture. Yeah. Do something oh, with wow, it. Oh, wow, that's amazing. But until you really get the stuff, you don't really remember, do you? No, absolutely. And they're so, they're so cool. Like, I think we've got a whole box of different newspaper, like clippings and stuff. Cause... Mate, you must have tons of stuff like coming through with what you've done at uni and what I don't know. And stuff. To be fair, I probably need to keep more of it. My parents are definitely better at keeping it than I've been. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's like little ones of us just like at sports day, you know, yeah. where it's just like a little clip. You happen to be in the photo that's made it to the yeah. local newspaper yeah. about Tiny your sports in the day. Corner yeah. Whatever, yeah. yeah, that's me. That's me. I got fourth in one race. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, yeah. So yeah, I think we were, Dubai was cool. It yeah. was real cool. We were, a couple of my friends had like boats and stuff. So you finished school at, we finished school at one on a Thursday because the weekend was Friday, Saturday. Yeah. And you'd be like, off on a mate's boat going wakeboarding or something like that like it's a, a, a style of life Different, that you can't yeah. complain about too much but yeah. yeah it was cool you can't really compare it to the UK can you no <laughs> no it's a little bit it's probably there'll be, no, there'll be no Sunday roast it'll be a Saturday roast wouldn't it yeah it's weird there is no Sunday well, I don't even think we had roast barbecues lots oh, of barbecues okay. Barbecues, jumping into the pool, barbecues, something like that. <laughs> sounds like summer, doesn't it? Yeah, so, sounds good, isn't it? Well, look, you've, you've, you've knocked on the head some of my preconceptions about Dubai, so <laughs> maybe if I'm lucky enough one day I can go and have a look at it and see what happens. But yeah, have a look. I just remember not to hold my girlfriend's hand, just in case. <laughs> um, so what what do you think when you look back at your kind of early years then? Like, what, what were you kind of, I know you are really sportive, what are you kind of aspirations? It sounds like you can remember quite a bit, and some people I talk to can't remember anything from their kind yeah. of first early years when they were a kid and stuff so you've got a lot of info there where you've kind of gone into real detail so what's your kind of most fond memories and what were you aspiring for when you were younger can you remember oh gosh um i guess probably, i probably never really knew what i wanted to do um having said that i wanted to go i knew i wanted to play in the olympics or go to the olympics or represent okay. in the olympics that was like but i don't think i really voiced it like i never said it out loud yeah um i, went, I think we saw kelly holmes came into our school when I was in Dubai, actually, I must have been 13 or something. Yeah. And she came into our school and spoke to us, and I was just like, wow, yeah. Wow, she's amazing. Because at that point, she would have been. Yeah, competing, in her prime. She? Yeah, prime. Yeah, prime. Yeah. And um, yeah, absolutely adored her and just thought, God, I'd love to, you know, be someone like her when I was older. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I really had no idea. I was the sort of person that was like, couldn't 
couldn't make a decision for myself, still can't make a decision. Yeah. Um, like, I don't think I really picked my GCSEs or my A-levels. I was just like, Mommy, what do you think I should do? Like, Go with the flow, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. What, do you, what do you think would be best? What should I do at uni? What should I do here? Like, um, so, yeah, so even when it came to, like, careers, yeah, I wanted to play sports. Did I think it was going to actually happen? Probably not. Did I have a backup plan? Not really, no. So Didn't when did you know that this, is, this could happen for me? Um... Probably not until like end of uni. Like, okay. So at that point, when I've been speaking to, um, so that's quite late, really, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, really late. And I wasn't. I, I still wasn't really pursuing it. Like I was still loving playing sport and just wanted to know where I'd get to. But yeah. you know, when I started playing, I was, you know, playing netball, and I knew I'd never really make it in netball. Yeah. Um, one of my teachers already told me that they were like, "Well, you're too short. You're never going to make it in netball." <laughs> I was like, "Cheers." Thanks. Yeah, cheers for that. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. Well, I can't change that. Um. So, yeah, so it was late, but then at the same time, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was just like, oh, I'll take a year out, do some traveling, and then yeah. I'll go to uni and, and just so you're quite see relaxed what happens. about it. So, so I think like my, my daughter's going to be 17 in November, and just from knowing kind of the decisions that she's had to make around her exams that she's got, I think she's got one exam left this week and then she's done. It's really difficult. I've Well, I can't remember my own options at the time, really. It was so long ago, but for her, the world's changed a bit. There's a lot more tech around, a lot more opportunity, but... I think when she was looking at what she wanted to do, it's a lot of pressure on people that are 16, 17, 18 to go and have a plan and actually understand exactly what they want to do. And I look back to me, I didn't really know what I wanted to do probably until I was 25. Yeah. Um, and I had to experience stuff to understand what was out there. And when we were looking at different colleges that she wanted to go to and courses, she was like really late in deciding what she wanted to do. She didn't have a clue. But I think, again, typically with this podcast kind of exposing poor aspects of social media as well like with social media and people that are in the public eye the perception is that you should know exactly what you want to do mm. straight away and that's just not for me anyway that's just not the case and it sounds like that wasn't the case with you either really yeah not at all I, I, I completely agree like I think I always got a little bit jealous of those people that were like I want to be a doctor or I want yeah, to be a lawyer or, got it figured out and they just knew and they'd known for however long or I want to be a police per, you know policeman policeman whatever it is um and that they just knew from however young that yeah. that's just what they wanted to do. And I was like, God, that makes life so much easier if you know that's what you want to do and then you can just sort of align everything. Yeah. But then I don't, on the reverse, I don't think there's anything wrong with not having a clue and just sort of trying to keep your options open. Yeah. Um, and I, I, and I think you can still be, you can still change your career at any point. Like, yeah, it might take a couple of years of studying or whatever, but like one of our, one of my parents' friends, I think at the age of, 40 he decided to become a lawyer and okay, then he wow. out in Dubai we knew him so he decided to become a lawyer at the age of 40 he specialised in um, Arabic law I think or something like that which is why he was out in Dubai yeah. he was an Aussie guy himself like just you know didn't have a, any history in that but was like I think that's what I want to do so he just sort of changed careers so I think it's always it's always possible to you know realign if you decide that what you're doing isn't quite what you want to do I think you you've had quite a few career changes haven't you I was like doing bits and pieces anyway, so... Yeah, like, I like to keep a variation yeah. because, like, I'll get bored. Yeah, And it's exactly. as simple as that. Like, I'll get bored easily. I'm really yeah. task-orientated. Like, it's one thing, one thing, one thing. If I look at a day and I've got nothing... Like, my partner, for example, if, if she's got a day off and she's got nothing to do, she's quite comfortable with that. Yeah. She'll just relax, chill, putter around. She'll be cool with that. Whereas, that's my nightmare. Yeah. Like, I'll be doing something, like... I don't care what it is, really. I just want to be... I need to be doing something because I'm like, well, I'm going to waste time. Like, I don't want to waste the time, so I'm going to go and do that. And that then sends me into different... 
And that's sometimes Blow a bad thing because then it spreads too thin and you're doing a bit of this, a bit of that, and you're not really doing 100% of anything. But yeah, just variation, just taking those risks and kind of, I think we spoke to, to Ben about that. You know, he was talking about taking the risk and emigrating to Spain and he wouldn't have got his job in Hunted. If he didn't do that. And then subsequently his job where he's working full time now for the security company and then the Australian hunting which has just come out this week he wouldn't do any of that unless he'd have taken a risk to change some stuff yeah absolutely um, no I think you've got to stay open minded I think we've also got to be careful about how we influence like younger people and the decisions they're making like I know um, a couple of people just sort of like dropped in oh don't be a lawyer you work so hard and you get paid you yeah. know not a sufficient you know you don't get paid as much as you should do for the hours that you work yeah. I said the same about being a doctor and said you know a couple of other things and oh um don't be an accountant that's boring or whatever yeah. and i was so easily influenced by all yeah. this I was like yeah you know what you're right i don't want to be a lawyer i don't want to be a doctor i don't want to be an accountant and then actually you may have found that part yeah naturally. when i yeah. yeah when i've looked back i've gone oh maybe i would have enjoyed that or um you know maybe that is something that i could have put my mind to and sort of worked towards um so yeah so i think you know there's so many opportunities out there there are literally is everything for anyone but i think when you're it. younger certainly when i was looking through her kind of like brochures and all this stuff and I was looking through thinking like there's so much more out here than this like she's like yeah but i don't really know what i want to do i was like that's all right yeah and she's like all my friends have decided they know what courses they've already applied and we're like three months down the line and we haven't applied for anything yeah so like, maybe you just need to apply for some stuff maybe we need to go see some stuff speak to some people like just keep it keep it quite relaxed like we've got time yeah absolutely what, what do you enjoy and seeing if we can find something that's in when you enjoy I didn't want to say it to her at the time but what she's going to be doing in that course there it's probably not what she's going to be doing in 10 years 5 no. years we all know that she could go and toss off her GCSE uh, her exams now do nothing in them get fail everything and still could be in 10 years time running her own business being successful being happy that, yeah, that's you know anything's a possibility but I didn't want to tell her that now she, <laughs> won't, she won't study and she's hard enough to get to study as it is yeah. but I, I just think with, especially with social media now so many positives but the one big negative is that there's so much influence that I think a lot of young people now want to be that next influencer yeah. and bang a couple of videos up and that's my, that's my life made get a load of followers and that's how it is and I just think yes there I mean I've got friends that do that and they are they it's a full-time job but what she doesn't know is that they spend every day planning these videos so five videos go up a day they spend three days planning these videos it's a full-time job mm. they want the narrative they want to make sure it's done properly engaging the right audience at the right time yeah. depending on what's trending it's not just stick a video up and see what happens yeah randomly do it put it all together there you go oh finish it's hard it's yeah, hard absolutely. like even the learning process we've had with the podcast it's hard like we made yeah. tons of mistakes in terms of what works what doesn't work what we feel is the right thing to do and the wrong thing to do but i just think social media is it really does and family as well do the same like you just said those little comments oh you shouldn't really do that that sticks with young, younger people yeah. and there's a lot of young people that listen to this and the message that I keep trying to get out is regardless of what you're doing now and what you will, even if you don't know what you want to do just don't rush it like whatever comes will come as long as you're looking and you're open to opportunity and you're not just sitting back and being lazy you've got to look for stuff and be open yeah. but there's no rush and you could find your calling at 30 25 20 yeah, absolutely. Ain't yeah, at it can change at any point, whatever. Yeah. Just stay open to ideas. But I think, especially on uni, I think there's sort of like a changing narrative around it. So I think we see it now as a stepping stone to whatever career you want to do. And therefore you're like, okay, what, what's the end product? What career do I want to have? Yeah. And therefore, what do I need to do at uni? But I think what you realise is that like that's not what university is there for. So unless yeah. you know categorically 
you want to be a doctor, yeah, then you, you have, have to do, do that, yeah. whatever at university. Other than that, like see university as a place to go learn more about something that you're passionate about, mm. because it doesn't really matter what you study at university, as you say, it's probably not going to be linked to whatever you do. What did you do at uni? So I did economics. Okay. But if I went back, I probably wouldn't do economics because you can get to the same, you can get into the same jobs with any host of different degrees. Like, if you know, if you, let's say even if you wanted to be an accountant, you still don't have to have done maths or economics at university. You could have done geography, you could have done history, you could have done yeah. whatever it is that you want to do at university because that's what you're passionate in. And then you go and become an accountant. It's like totally separate. What, what's your opinion on uni? Like. Because people are quite split on this. Is it is it a waste yeah. of time? Is it something that... Because a lot of people have an opinion. I mean, I used to have an opinion that uni was just, again, probably an old hat opinion because I left school when I was 15. I'm not interested in... I didn't want to study. I couldn't learn. I was shit at tests. And I didn't, I didn't revise. I just wanted to work. And I was lucky enough to be able to get a job. I pretended I was 16. Um, I fake, faked my passport on the, on the photocopy. Took it yeah. in. They thought I was 16 and a half got the job and I was getting paid like 100 quid a week at that age, which is a lot of money. Um, and it was cash in hand and I was enjoying it. So yeah. I, I just sacked school off straight away. And all I was interested in was, I want to go and get pissed with my mates on that money and I'm going to work hard and I'm going to spend it. It would be gone in a day and it was just that cycle for a few months. Um, I didn't feel like uni was, I thought, well, uni's not going to earn me anything. I don't really understand. I mean, I didn't get, none of my family went to uni, so I didn't exactly have somebody that could sit down and say, well, actually, this is a good experience for you. So I naturally had probably not the most positive um, perception of uni when my daughter was talking about the potential of what she wanted to do. Whereas my, my ex-partner wanted to go uni, I was more like, just see what happens. Yeah, like, if you, you go to. uni, you go uni. If you don't, you don't. You just need to see what happens. But yeah. what, what's your, are you glad you went uni? Uh, yeah, I, I am, because if I didn't go to university, then I wouldn't have started playing rugby. Okay. And then that's where my rugby career started. Um, and like, essentially at university, I was able to basically be a full-time like sports person like yeah i'd yeah. go from that to the library and do some studying um but yeah i mean i could train whenever i wanted we had great facilities yeah i was playing twice a week i was training you know basically every day yeah um and if you're enjoying that it's living program. the dream yeah it, really, exactly yeah. um and i was with my mates at the same time like i absolutely loved it having said that do i think it's needed for everybody no i don't think so um i think I think you need to go to university if there's something that you want to learn more about because okay. that's what it's for. It's for education. So yeah. unless you're, like we said, unless you're really passionate about a certain career and you know university has to be a part of that, yeah. then obviously that makes sense. If you've got something else that you just want to go learn about, then go to university. It's amazing. Like the resources you have access to, the lecturers, the like in terms of providing structure to building like a growth of knowledge or whatever, yeah. then it's excellent. Um, and the sports are brilliant as well yeah. but um other than that i think it's just a game of statistics like yeah. you can go to university and be successful if that's what you want to be you can not go to university and be successful but then like you know as you said if you didn't go to university incredibly successful if that you know if, if that's what people are judging the result by yeah um are you more likely to be successful if you go to university perhaps the statistics say that but then it's just because you happen to have jumped through more hoops if yeah. you don't go to university, you're just as likely to be successful. You just know that you've got to jump through slightly different hoops and you've got to be yeah. willing to do it. Perhaps you've got to have a bit more self-drive. I don't know. If you if you don't go to university, you've got to find the opportunity yourself, be a yeah. bit more creative. Yeah. Um, it's just, as I think some people see it as a bit of a tick box. There's no right or wrong, university. I don't think. Is no, there? No, I think not. Yeah, Do you think you'd have found rugby in the way that you have if you didn't go to uni? Uh, no. 
No, no definitely not. I think I was so too... When, um, I, when, I, when I read about you and when I wanted to get you on and was thinking about your kind of journey, and this, I've, I've felt this the same with, with another chap that we had on. Um, the, the episode's not gone live yet, but it will go live slightly before your one, I think, that, that's, that's a pro footballer. Yeah. The way that he found football and the way you found rugby through uni, one little choice of not going to uni, no rugby. Like yeah. one choice of him not going to this tournament where he got where he got scouted, and then he was uh, at that particular team from when he was eight to he was twenty two. Yeah. Like one choice, and he potentially—I know he could have got scouted somewhere else. You could have got into rugby at somewhere else, but it just amazes me how these little choices, when you look back, like could massively change the whole perception of what you're actually doing. Your whole life can change. Yeah. No experiences of rugby no, in the way absolutely. that you've had it, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I actually really don't think I would have found rugby at all if I hadn't gone to university. And even, like, the particular university I went to because rugby was so big that we had the okay. whole collegiate system. So we had college rugby and then we had university rugby and then we had the premiership side in the north as well, which yeah. also didn't have an enormous depth of players. Yeah. So because they didn't have an enormous depth of player, it meant that I could also get into that squad a little bit easier than if yeah. I'd gone even to a university closer to, say... Harlequins or Saracens, then I yeah. probably wouldn't have played Premiership rugby at the level that, at the stage that I played. Because you went rugby. really quick. Yeah, like, well, it seems yeah. to seem to happen super quick. Like you started rugby late. In, well, when you think about some other sports people, everyone's got a different story, haven't they? But people that have been playing it all their life, and I know you played it all your life anyway. But just may have been with that club for years and years, and it kind of felt when you got your break, when you you captain your uni, didn't you? Yeah. And then you got that break in 2018 for Wasps. Yeah. And it's like. You then got within probably a three-year condensed period of uni, was England. It's like come together in a period of two to three years. Yeah, it is like, crazy. That's quick. Yeah, really it, quick. Was, it was crazy, and and um, I think at the time when I looked at it, it wasn't not that it wasn't quick enough, but you know, like things weren't happening how I wanted them to happen. Yeah. When I look back retrospectively, Quite, that's I'm a like, massively wow, quick that transition. Was, yeah. yeah, that was mad. Like a dream transition, yeah, really, uh, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. and um, <laughs> I think actually my like my first couple of caps were criticised by people in terms of like. Now you've thrown her in the deep end too early, like she yeah. wasn't ready. Um, and I, absolutely, I wasn't ready. Like I, I, I was not ready for my first cap when I got my first cap. Yeah. But at the same time, would I be where I am today if I, if they hadn't done that for me, if they hadn't, experience, you know, yeah, yeah, chucked me in and just gone like, let's see if you can survive. Um, I don't think I would have had the development and growth I've had over the short period that I've had it since. Um, so yeah, I mean that first tournament was incredibly tough. I came out of it in like, quite a bad way, thinking that I was a really rubbish rugby player and that yeah. you know I was um, couldn't do half of what I thought I could do leading into that tournament. Yeah. But at the same time, that meant that my reaction to all of that and it was still you know it still allowed me to jump up in terms of my development. Yeah. And if my first captain sat a year later, then just in terms of experience well, you'd going have had through a that year being of nothing, in the environment yeah. Yeah. all of it would have just it wouldn't have been there yeah um so i think yeah retrospective you look back and you're like okay it was it was definitely needed it was it was a huge opportunity for me um definitely out of my depth yeah you know i'd played um well i got capped in the november and i'd only started playing scrum half in the september so i'd yeah. been playing for like two months at scrum half um you're talking like eight games maybe yeah. um, and all of a sudden then I was playing for England surrounded by these like incredible players that some yeah. of you know the majority of which have been playing since they were like six years old Yeah, huge amounts of experience I had like World Cup winners there you had you know World Cup silver medalists you've got Olympians you've got people that have just been playing rugby for such a long time got all these accolades behind them um, 
and all of a sudden I'm in this scrum half position, which isn't even like reactive to other people. I'm like trying to control You're this game. You're controlling the game, or, yeah, yeah. Um, and it was, yeah, it was incredibly difficult. And when I look back, I'm like, wow, I, like I'm surprised I even survived it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and it was tough, but I, I loved it. Absolutely loved every second of it. And then I think it has been hugely beneficial. Who's the best player you've ever played with? Oh, and you've got so to name, many. you've got to name names as well. Can't sit on the fence with this one. I've got to name one. Just one. Um, okay, best player I played with has to be Kate Jane McLean okay. because she played at ten. I played with her when I was fifteen at DMP Sharks. She, I mean, she is an unbelievable player, like World Cup winner, England captain, played in the Olympics, like um, played for years and years and years. Um, such an incredible skill set as a 10 um, and I played off of her at 15 and um, that was amazing like for somebody who again had very little experience in the game she her, she made me understand it yeah um, even like she'd be like okay Claude just come like just appear on my inside hold your line I'm gonna drag across come on my inside and she'd literally drag something would be happening out here and then she'd like drop me under on a switch and I'd go straight through the defense yeah and you're going how did she know that that, that, that hole was going to yeah. be there? It's because she was constantly analysing the game yeah. the whole time she was playing it. So I learnt, I think I learnt so much from her. And then when I played Scrum Half with her, so different. Like, it's it's really difficult because at that point, I'm not playing off of her, I'm serving the game to her. Yeah. So obviously there's a lot more, like... Um, there's it's a reliance lot more, on yeah. you for, like, decision-making, tempo, Absolutely. everything, yeah. Absolutely, and that was a really difficult position to be in as such an inexperienced player. Um, but again, still like learned so much from that side too. So I think the ha, being able to play off and then to her was it was huge in my development as a player. Yeah. Um, not necessarily easy at times, but yeah. yeah well, if you develop nothing. <laughs> because, easy, yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't think any ten that's like world class like that is going to be. You know, they, they control the game, they run the game, they've got their ideas. Yeah. Um, they know what they want to do. You've got to be able to get the ball to them as quickly as possible. Otherwise, you can't unlock the rest of the team. Yeah. But obviously, that puts a lot of pressure on you. Even now, I feel the pressure. Four years ago, I definitely felt the pressure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, imp it's not improved. Maybe the handling of it's improved. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, with experience and stuff. So you had that step up from your uni team and then um, the Sharks, and then you went to Wasps. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So what, tell me about that kind of, how did you manage to get into Wasps? Like, what was that kind of opportunity look like? What was the day that you kind of had the call? I mean, how did it all kind of come about? Um... So it's a bit of an odd one. So I'd been speaking with England at that point and they'd kind of floated the idea of me moving to scrum half. So I was playing fullback wing at the time. Yeah. They, they floated the idea of me moving to scrum half. We're like, you know, what do you think about that? Do you want to go away, practice some scrum half passing? Which, you know, I sort of went away and did. And was like, all right, if that could be a possibility in, in a little while's time, I'll do that now. So I started doing scrum half passing, trying my hand at box kick. I was awful to start with, like really, yeah. really awful. Uh, passing was awful. Like. Yeah. <laughs> um, but as so I kept working with DMP, got to the end of the season, Durham were very good. They offered me a masters so to carry on because it meant I could carry on playing for the uni. I ended up turning that down because um, I didn't think I could play scrum half at DMP. They wanted me to play 15. Okay. Um, so that kind of ruled out that option. Um, and then I kind of was looking at how different teams played, you know, what sort of structures I liked, because everybody has a different sort of flavour of rugby that they play. Yeah. Um, and for me, Wasps played quite an expansive game. Um, so I basically just got hold of Giselle Mather's contact details um, and called her and was like, well, I think I, I, think I text her first 
uh, saying who I was and, and could I speak to her. I bottled a call and went for a text. <laughs> well, basically, I was like, uh, can I arrange a call with you? Essentially. Yeah, yeah. But I wanted to at least give her the heads up that I was going to call her. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I was just so impressed from the get-go of talking to her in terms of, like, she knew who I was, she knew what position I played, um, she knew that I wanted to play scrum half, and she already came at me with, like, a development plan of how she was going to get me into scrum half shirt, was into an England shirt at scrum half, um, and that she would be really excited to have me in the squad. And I was like... Wow, yeah. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, and I'll, like, forever be thankful for the opportunity that was there because there were some... You know, there's some brilliant uh, scrum halves at Wasp, but um, Giselle really took like a leap of faith on me and was like, okay, we'll work with you throughout all of pre-season. Um, and then threw me in. I, you know, I started the Premiership side as a starting nine, having not played any games really at scrum half. Yeah. Um, which was, you know, which was amazing for a Premiership club to yeah, do. Yeah, wow, well, yeah. Wasps are a huge um, club, huge outfit. Yeah, so that was really cool. And hopefully I've paid them back in it. Like... <laughs> I hope I've paid the favour back and they've made, I've made it worth it. But um, yeah, it was yeah, it was an exciting opportunity. What do you think your fondest memory of playing with wasps? Oh, um, oh, that's a tough one. There's been loads. Um, I'm actually going to go for. Oh, can I go two? So there's one. Two if you want. Can I go two? There's one <laughs> where I wasn't actually playing. Okay. Um, but it was last year and we were playing Saracens and it was like the tightest match we've played and it was the first time we came into like a glimpse of potentially beating them whilst I'd been at the club we'd beaten them the year before I came I think and um and it was like the just the craziest game of probably like all our subs came on and they were like crawling around the pitch like everyone was knackered we were defending for probably the last like eight ten minutes just yeah. continuously like there's long some, eight ten yeah, minutes yeah oh my god there's like an amazing like clip of like one of our second rows sam she literally gets she makes tackle she gets up and she like crawls like she can't even drag herself up she like crawls back on side crawls herself up by that point they've like had a phase and then they run straight at her. she makes again. tackle again she's like <gasps> <Yeah>. <laughs> like into like the 79th minute but we held on and they knocked it on on the edge and we ended up winning the game and i wasn't playing i was water girl but i was just like this is incredible, like it was absolutely amazing. Um, so that was huge. Um, and then in terms of actually playing, um, probably my first go I had at captain, which was just really cool. Like, yeah. um, So how did that come about? Did they, they approach you or what's the... Yeah, Giselle asked me if I'd, um, at the beginning of last season, she asked me if I'd, you know, would like to be captain or, or it was co-captain actually. Okay. Um, with Kate Alder, who had been the captain for four years, but turned out in hindsight she was pregnant so okay. she was stepping away yeah yeah <laughs> um so yeah so was asked to be captain for the year and was just yeah, why do you think they really gave you excited. that opportunity um i don't know giselle said it was based on pre-season so we always do these wacky pre-season tours um where we oh, go and do random stuff so this particular one was um down in devon yeah and we were Camping, we're staying at an army base. We're all dressed up in army gear, being marched around and commanded and told what to do, and woken up at four o'clock in the morning to go and do whatever else, and camping out in the forest but under those sheets, you know, at the army. Sounds like, like an SAS. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's just mad. Like, you might get like three, four hours sleep a night, and then at the end of it, we were playing a pre season game against Exeter, yeah. like, who were a class yeah, team, yeah. and we were just like, like just oh you're mad like we can't do this like uh we can't go play a game of rugby having had four hours sleep on average over the last three nights and then and, all the stuff that you've and yeah. we've been eating ration food and eating in the mess canteen and whatever and we were just like 
what is going on? Like, but it's amazing because it pulls everyone together and you're out, you know, you're out in the woods building these canopies to sleep under and like all telling stories about, you know, your biggest achievement or, you know, what you've struggled with or whatever. And you just kind of like really gel as a team. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, she just came away from that and just, I, I don't know, I guess she must've just thought that I could do the job or. So if I was um, asking her what your kind of maybe th main two or three traits are like your real strengths what would you say oh gosh um i am except from being able to build except from being able to build so fiercely competitive intense. i would say would be one of them yeah. um because i am incredibly competitive um and i think that that helps to drive like standards and expectations but also um you know i want i really want the team to do well um yeah. like i really care about the team because I mean, everybody obviously cares about the team, but I like, I really want to win because I yeah. really don't want to lose. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so driving all of that, and then I guess potentially a bit of fairness. Like, I really care about fairness. I want everyone to be included. Um, I want everyone to be heard. Yeah. Um, hopefully, I would hope that she might think that, or that my teammates might think that. Um, but yeah, probably competitive but fair. Um, hopefully. Where do you think your weaknesses are? Well, I have lots of those. You could probably say the same things. Competitive is definitely a weakness. Yeah. Um, yeah. Over competitive. Yeah, one hundred percent overly competitive. It can. It can. Um, Give us a scenario and, where you think that's gone against you. Um. Against my, it comes against myself in terms of I'm far too judgmental of myself. Okay. Um, all the time, which makes training really difficult, and then that can influence my teammates as well. So. Yeah. Um, so is that being overly harsh on yourself? Oh, 100%, yeah. yeah. I would, um, you know, I'm constantly sitting down with Giselle and she's constantly reminding me that, you know, rugby is the perfect, she says, the perfect game for imperfections or something like that. As in, like, it's, it can never, you can never have a perfect game. It's yeah. impossible. Um, and I'm constantly looking for that perfect game, whether it's the, and, I'm, and I constantly think I should be able to pass the perfect pass yeah. every time. And I've thought that ever since I started playing Scrum Half, which is, you know, completely unrealistic. And it yeah. means that I put a huge amount of pressure on myself in training when training is supposed to be the time to make errors and make mistakes. Um, and then that can probably, you know, flip onto my teammates. So if I'm, okay. if I'm expecting perfection for myself, then there are probably times where I expect perfection from my teammates. And obviously, yeah, that's not- You're expecting so it's, it's not, it's not gonna happen. Yeah, yeah, something that's never gonna happen. They're not gonna, you know, catch every single ball perfectly. They're not gonna run every line perfectly. They're not gonna make the perfect tackle every single time. And then yeah. if that leads me to be frustrated and then I present that frustration and then I have to kind of like bite back on myself and be like, come on, Claude, like, what are you doing? Um, so that can be a bit of a, a turmoil and that can, that definitely puts some strain on, puts a huge amount of strain on myself and definitely puts strain on my teammates at times. So just too. on that with yourself then. So, and, and I remember a something I was listening to, a video I was listening to actually about Johnny Wilkinson. Yeah. Something really similar about him putting that much pressure on himself for perfection, absolute perfection, through practicing, consistency, time that he trained, and just general kind of, he used to, t his own words, he used to torture himself mm -hmm. for the amount of perfection that he expected from himself. Whereas when you look at it, he's actually delivering probably over and above anybody else. He's probably the, I mean, I remember watching him, England and different things that he'd done. And of all the players in his position, I look at him and think he's, just the ultimate professional, like he's in incredible. Um, but hearing about him struggling himself and mentally with 
the pressure of being not to anyone else's standard, but his own standard mm. was his big, and he was his biggest critique. And he said that, and, and in hindsight, he felt that went against him. And if he could do it again, that's the that's the part he would change. Yeah, I think that is important, and, and I and I and I know it because I you know I've read and I've watched a lot about Johnny Wilkinson because yeah. you know he's a you know an amazing rugby player, um, and and is in a you know everybody's in a high pressure situation, but he's in a particularly high pressure position at ten, yeah. kind of trying to control the game. Um, and even with like the knowledge of knowing that it's not good for me, I still can't. Still do it. Anyway. Uh, yeah, yeah, I still can't stop it. And, and isn't it's really yeah. difficult. Um, and you try and like I try to come up with like little ticks or whatever. So I'm like, okay, if I just smile or laugh, like a simple thing, like making yourself laugh. Yeah. You're like, oh, it doesn't really matter. Or it might even just like bring a little bit of tension out of your body because it, none of it helps. So if if you make an error. And then you tense up and you try and correct it, but you try to overcorrect it. So yeah. then the, the next pass is wrong because you've you're trying to focus too much on it. Whereas actually what you'd be better off doing is just almost treating each pass it's as done. totally it's independent. Yeah. yeah, it's done. It's it's happened. Um, there's still an enormous number of opportunities to correct it later on in the game. Like I think um, in the first New Zealand game in November, I passed I think it was like 62 times. Um, which is the most number of passes I've ever made in a game. And um, all I could think was, oh, I remember the three passes that were wrong. Yeah. Okay? And they weren't necessarily wrong, but as in, like, I could remember the three that were... Didn't go where that you weren't wanted. Yeah, exactly what I wanted. Um, having said that, that is still the most positive I've come out of a game of rugby about myself. And I've been like, you know what? That was all right. Like, I did... I'm, I'm quite chuffed with that. Um, do you come off a pitch most of the time feeling that way? Or do you come off most of the time, regardless of the result, thinking about exactly what you just said. I should have done that better. Um, yeah, I think it changes. It depends on the results. So if it's a really well-earned win and you're just elated and relieved yeah, to have won the game, in the, the game, moment, yeah. you're like, wow, like we won it. And like in that very moment of like finishing the game, those first couple of minutes, you're like, that was amazing, we all won. But this, like the little bit after that it's like half an hour to an hour after that or when you then go to sit down to do analysis and you're like oh I know what's coming up this and this and this and you just remember yeah. and I am very bad at doing it you just remember the, the bad stuff that happened in the game and the really sort of like the mistakes you make um, and I'm almost embarrassed to watch it I'm like yeah it's coming I know what's happening like I'm throwing the ball above your head or I completely yeah. missed the call I hit the wrong person entirely or whatever it is yeah um and I, sometimes you can justify it, and then other times you're like, I, you know, I don't know what I was doing. Yeah. But it's really difficult to try and judge something retrospectively. You have to sort of think about exactly the position you're in in the, in the game. So, you know, perhaps the ruck was really noisy or, um, uh, you know, the fly half was looking this way as they're communicating what they want as opposed to at you, and you actually really struggled to hear them. Or, yeah. Um, that someone managed to get hand onto the ball just as you were passing or yeah. something. You know, there's so many different factors that can influence it. Um, it's just trying to weigh up judging yourself and trying to be respectful of the situation. So, the so there's, quite a lot of, there's quite a lot of comparisons with that. That sort of situation is at a very high-pressured, high level and an elite level. But that happens in all everyday life for everybody watching and listening to this. You know, it's, it's, it's you might go to work and have a day at work and think that shit you know and, and beat yourself up about it you might go and do something in your personal life and beat yourself up about it you know yeah. it's, that, that, that happens every day so, absolutely and I know for a fact that I, I speak to a lot of people that follow us and stuff like that regularly every week every month and 
one of the biggest things that I can take away from most of the conversations is that people are so self-critical about their self. Nothing's ever good enough. And I think it's just a human nature. I do it, we all do it. What would you, because I know there's gonna be a lot of people that feel this way and that I've got examples. What, what in your kind of elite sense, what do you do to try and move forward from a situation? So if you have done something that's not to your standard, personally or, or professionally, what are your kind of, what would you give to somebody listening to this as a bit of a tip or a couple of tips to say, well, this is the process I go through? Yeah. Um, yeah, in fact, to put it into context, I mean, I've been this judgmental myself probably my entire life. Yeah. Like I can remember coming out of my um, GCSE results and I got 10 A stars and one A and I beat myself up about the A and yeah. was just like, what have I done? Like, and it was in Spanish. I was predicted a B, like an A was very good. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but well, I think one of my coaches said that, look, um, sport and everything, everything is um, up and down and you've just got to realize that the highs are never as high as they feel like they are in the moment and the lows are never as low as they feel like they are in the moment. And it's easier to attach ourselves. You know, you feel, saying that the highs are never as high, you're like, yeah, oh, minute, yeah they are, like, yeah, they're yeah. amazing. But then when we say the lows are never as low, you're like, okay, maybe they're not. But we've got to judge them the same. And that yeah. actually, like, everything is about growing forward. And you've got to, I think people always say you've got to learn from, you've got to learn from the mistake. But you've also got to learn from the stuff that you did really well. Um, like, it's important to learn from both. And remember that the journey is always ongoing. And you never judge yourself based on what anyone else has done or anyone else is doing at the time, purely yeah. on where you're at and perhaps where you were yesterday. Um, but I think sometimes it's just important to, like I'm in a bit of a unique situation. You talk through your story quite a lot. Um, and I'm sure you do as well. You know, you talk through your story and actually you realize that when you say it as a story and as if you're talking about somebody else, you're like, yeah. oh, that was, that was pretty impressive. Like that was pretty cool. And you forget that that is your life and that's how other people see it um, because you're the one living it and you yeah. see the highs and the lows. So that's exactly the same as somebody else. You know, you look at their life and you go, wow that's amazing but they've got the exact same story that you've got yeah. behind the scenes of you know the ups and downs and everything else so sometimes i think it just it helps to try and look you know as at your story as a whole you know where you've been where you've come from where you've got to know that that's not the end product yeah but that you know so much has already happened and you forget about the really crap bits. i think that, but you limit yourself i think as humans you you don't have you don't give yourself enough time to have that kind of look that yeah. kind of step back five minutes and have a look and think well because i do the same thing you know if something doesn't go well we'll make a wrong decision or something happens and it's cost us money or whatever you look at and you're like i'm an idiot like what's going on there and then you look take a step back and you think well actually you know one of the businesses that we started started just before covid there's 80 percent. you know there's tons of businesses in the industry that have gone out out of business we haven't started with a lot we've started with a lot less than a lot of people we're still here we're actually prospering we're doing well we're growing so stop worrying about this mistake that you've made because when you look at the whole timeline of events, mm. you're actually doing all right. Yeah. And, and, and I do this a lot. Like I have mentor sessions every month, every quarter with different people. And, you know, a lot of them tell me the same thing, which is, well, just you're getting really passionate about this element. Just, it's done. Forget yeah. it. Forget it. Step back. Look at all the stuff that's happened. You're always going to make mistakes. You'll make a mistake next week. You'll make a mistake next year. You'll make a mistake in 50 years. When you think you know it all, you, you won't. You'll, make, you'll, you'll have to learn from something. And I think when I, I learn the most when I actually just take a step back and think, let's look at everything. Am I doing okay? Are we doing all right? Are my family doing okay? Are my friends doing okay? Everybody connected with the business is doing okay? If that's a yes, then 
forget about last week because that, like you said, that that pass or that decision could influence you being a little bit tighter for the next pass or not really just delivering the stuff that that, that you can do to yeah, the ability. Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's all about just reflecting, really, isn't it? Trying to reflect on where you're at. What yeah, you're I like doing. to forget as well. Like I'll yeah. reflect, but then I'll try and forget because you can reflect and you can over reflect and you can think about stuff too much, and that's the reason why this podcast is is here is because I used to think about stuff constantly mm. to the point where it'd be getting me up at 2, 3, 4 a.m. And I, I've got nowhere to put that information. It's here. And we've all been there, haven't we, where you're sitting there at night and it could be positive stuff. And I'm just excited. I know it sounds sad, but I'm excited about something that's happening the next day. But I always get excited when I'm recording a podcast next day because things, questions are going through my head, scenarios are going through my head. Obviously, I want it to go well. I want the conversation to be a good conversation. I want it to be more than surface level. I want it to be meaningful. And I'm excited about things. I'm also concerned about this. And what if a camera fails? And what if this? And what if that? And it's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's better now than it was on the first one. Yeah, you know, absolutely. it's less concerned you know, when you go for that experience. But certainly, yeah, the reason for it was kind of to bring it together and have an area where, regardless of what's happening outside, I can go, in simple terms, I can go into my garage. If I have that feeling at 3 a.m., I can piss off to my garage, turn the mic on, sit on my weight bench, and let everything out for an hour and then actually after the I felt stupid doing it but then after the first one was recorded and Kim will know this because it was awful uh, and, uh, and, uh, uh, um, don't know what I was doing but actually when I when I got out of the garage at half five it took me two and a half hours to record about an hour wow. I got out of the garage and I felt a, sen a real sense of relief a sense of my shoulders just weren't that no, I didn't feel like I was carrying that much weight anymore. And just from talking with nobody else around, as stupid as it sounded at the time, and as probably shit as the quality is in episode one, um, please don't go and listen to it. Um, <laughs> it, it was really, I felt a sense of real growth from it, real growth from it, like for the, fir for the first one. And that was because I reflected, dealt with it, embedded it, done, yeah. moved on. And I joke about how poor the quality is now because I can numb loads further on. But at the time, it just felt a relief. Yeah. Um, but over-reflecting over the same stuff, I don't think it's particularly positive either. No, and I think we often judge ourselves based on like where other people are at. So you, yeah. know, you go and look at a podcast and you, you go... You do that with oh, social that media, one's... though, don't you? It's like you yeah, see you these you people do. with the cars and the boats and all these stuff, and you're like, that's oh, wicked. That? Like, yeah, mate, I have that? They're, they're doing this six times a year, and he drives a Lambo and all this stuff, and you're like, I'm failing. Uh, that's not me. <laughs> like, I'm failing. Yeah. But you don't know what you don't know the story that's gone yeah. behind that, and you don't know how many times they've failed to get to the point where they've got to, or whatever. Yeah, we it is. could be renting this Lamborghini just for a picture. Yeah, you just don't exactly. know, him, but but you put the pressure on yourself, don't you? Like... Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much for supporting the podcast over the last sort of few months or so. Um, we're now getting thousands and thousands of downloads and views every single episode, but that is not all. Big news to come, we're looking for a sponsor for the podcast and the reason for that is we're looking to take our thousands of downloaders and viewers to tens and hundreds of thousands of downloads and viewers. So if you're interested in sponsoring the podcast, if you're a business owner that wants to get some extra exposure to thousands of people per week, please get in touch. Let's talk at thesilententrepreneur.co.uk. What would you say then? So we've talked about some really positive moments, some not so good moments, some challenging moments and dealing with that. What would you say your lowest ever moment is oh that's going to be about yeah um yeah then that's going to be when my mum died 100 percent. that was just that was really how old are you really rubbish. Uh, 17 17 yeah um yeah she'd been unwell for um about 15 months okay um so she, well well really she'd been unwell from the summer and then in the january we were told um 
it what she she had stage four cancer and okay. that um of all things as well it was lung cancer and she was you know my mum was super fit super healthy never smoked um didn't make any sense but that's just what it was that was the the card that was dealt um which is really rubbish but yeah so we were told she wouldn't have that long but you know the natural trooper that she was so yeah um that was in the january and then it wasn't until the end of march the following year that she okay. that she died About a year so, and a couple of months then. yeah um so we were really fortunate I think that kind of changed everything we we were living out in dubai we obviously all moved back to england but we did that over time as well so like my mum moved back straight away in the january and we actually couldn't go until the end of the school year which was like may june time because we yeah. had exams and everything else and um so there was also that period where you know we'd kind of gone from like this happy family all living in dubai to suddenly mummy's back in England you know living in a flat on our own going through chemotherapy and we were out in Dubai still and it was like a really weird we want to be there but we're being told we you're have also to be at there. like a what 15 and a half 16 yeah yeah, yeah difficult yeah. time for yeah know. doing my GCSEs yeah. so I was doing my GCSEs um Seb was so my eldest brother was working out in Dubai uh Alex was at university and my sister was what's she doing year nine so she was yeah. doing like exams end of year exams or whatever um but yeah, so that was that was really rubbish. That that was a hundred percent. Obviously, that is um, the lowest point, and that whole kind of journey. But um, my brother is quite good at looking at it, uh, sort of with a slightly positive frame. In that, um, at least from that, like our family, our wider family became much closer. Mm. Um, so because obviously we were all going through that together, we were we actually end up like my aunt, my mum's sister, like flew over from America. She lives in America, and she bought um her husband and her two sons as well so we all spent a lot of time together and um my mum's one of five so yeah her three siblings we didn't know as well because they were a lot younger and um we got to know them a lot more and we spend a lot more time with them so um and just like as a whole sort of unit there was suddenly like loads of friends and family that we so were kind of galvanized loads, people together yeah, and, stuff, yeah. and it was like all because of something horrendous and you know awful and you know you hope that nobody obviously everyone's going to go through it at some point but you just you don't ever expect it's going to be you no, then i suppose yeah. no and not at that age um and you hope it's never it's not going to be you but you know obviously it's at some point it is so the reason why i asked the question is there's probably been four or five people that have reached out to me in the last month month and a half that have all lost somebody really really close mm. like a parent or a brother or a sister or something like that and they've kind of struggling to deal with it which anybody would do um, I'm lucky enough to have my parents here and stuff, so I can't personally speak for myself. But if that's your lowest moment, what what would you say to those people that maybe have only recently, well, recently started to go through that process from somebody that's been yeah. through it, going through it, is through it? Um, yeah, I guess when I try and look back a little bit, um, I definitely didn't deal with it in, at the time. Um, I tried to sort of like move on not even necessarily move on you can't move on that's not a thing you, you never really move on you just your life does continue yeah. and your life just looks a little bit different yeah. um, and you continue to grow and develop and change and, and you do live your life it looks different you'll always have that missing part of it but it just becomes a part of you and you carry on your life um, but I think it's really important to try and to try and talk about it to deal with it to um, go through the grieving process at the time because I think um, 
I'm still very much going through it, which seems mad yeah. because it happened. Yeah, you know, it did happen a long time ago. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm 26 now, so it'd be coming up to nine years. Um, and and I definitely didn't deal with it how I should have dealt with it at the time, which has had huge ramifications for me like later on. And like uh, for a long, long time, I really struggled to like tell stories about my mum yeah. and to um, appreciate all like the good stuff that happened, even to like look over. I judged myself hugely on like how I behaved over that time. Like, did I spend enough time, you know, with her? Did I do this? Did I do that? Like, um, did I, you know, tell her I loved her enough? You know, all of those sorts of things. Um, and you can't do that because, like, you're an individual, like, you, you know, you don't go to your mum telling her you love her 100 times a day when she's not unwell, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but... How do you cope with it now? So you say you're kind of still going through yeah, that process by sort of talking about it so um you know a lot of the people in our lives as a family didn't know my mum but a big part of that is like telling them about her and like yeah. you know what is she like what does she do um showing stories uh, sharing stories showing photos all of that and that kind of like helps you process as well having yeah. lost her because she's still very much alive and and you get over that there's like a lump in your throat where you can't talk about it and uh you're like oh i can't because I'm just going to cry, but actually, yeah. crying is not an, it's not a bad thing no, at all, yeah, you know? Yeah. It's a good thing. It's an emotion. Everybody has all emotions. We should express all of them. So, yeah. um, and all it does is just show that you, you know, the time that you did have was worth it. You, know, you loved spending time with them when they were alive and you had that uh, huge amount of joy when they were there. So, yeah. um, I think trying to talk about it from as early as possible is a good thing because. Is that something you'd. Yeah, I'd yeah. 100% recommend. Try talk about it. Um, and don't worry about pestering people or um, however long. You know, it could be 15 years, 20 years after, five years, two weeks after. If you reach out to somebody, they'll respond. Like, if, yeah. if you're like, actually, you know what, I'm, you know, I need to talk to you about this or I'm struggling with this or whatever. Like, people want to help people around them. Like, that's why you have friends, you have family, like yeah. people that you care about that care about you. Um and yeah so i think the best way is just to talk about it from as early as you feel you can because it helps you get through it helps you process it um what do you think are the so when you think about it now what do you think is toughest to process what part of it do you feel toughest to process because you've obviously done a lot mm. you know is it the fact that you've um you know you've achieved a lot and you would want her to see that is it just the general missing her uh, part of it is it that you've gone through tough times and you'd want her there for you as well as the rest of your family i mean yeah like i still have um like i almost still have weird moments where i'm like oh i uh, oh, i just pick up the phone and call mum which doesn't or call her mummy which doesn't, i like always call her mummy yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and like and I, I still have them like to this day, to this day. where very occasionally i'll just think oh i'll just call mummy and then i'm like Whoa, 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 where's that come from? Like it did, yeah. it had no context. Automatic. Yeah, it was, just, and which is which is really strange position to be in. And now I can kind of smile and be like, "That's nice." Like, see, I look know. at that and think that's she's even if it's that the fact that that's automatic, she's automatically being thought of. If that yeah, makes sense in yeah, your memory 100%. at the forefront. Yeah, and no, and she is I, I, all the time. But um, yeah, I think that's the hardest part for me is that it's just the having her or rather not having her there just to talk yeah. about things with yeah, like yeah, it's not necessarily that i wanted to you know i don't want to see 
I'm not bothered that she's not there watching me play rugby or that yeah, she's not it's the there. smaller stuff maybe yeah it is it's the it's the sort of the daily chat or the do you think this is a good decision or do you think that's a good decision but um yeah I guess your relationships around that change so perhaps if mummy had been around then I would have spoken to mummy about it but since she's not then I speak to my siblings or my grandma or my aunt or my friends or something and you just kind of there's still more there's always more people yeah that can try and between them fill that hole and that need and that whatever it's not like I like when I play rugby and there's all my family are there I don't think oh I feel like I'm missing out because mummy's not there like I just go wow this my is amazing yeah, my yeah. family's all here like look at them all supporting me this is incredible has that always been the case or is that the case recent, more recently um definitely more well no I think it's always been the case in that I've just been like look like my whole family are here yeah um but yeah you you kind of um I, it's really difficult yeah. it, it's really difficult to put it into words I guess you kind of because you never forget you never like oh I forgot that Mo wasn't there like yeah. <laughs> um but you just you're like that you everything's just reshaped you're forced you to get, forced to adapt aren't yeah, you? yeah absolutely and everything is reshaped and and that just becomes the new normal um and I think that as much as possible you can then having lived through your experience you can help other people when they inevitably at some point go through some sort of loss yeah and uh whether that's just talking to them or being there for them or um Every, everyone always says there's no there's no manual there's no book to follow yeah um but i think just doing anything small helps like it, no there's no right way to do things i don't think there's necessarily a wrong way to do things either as long as you're doing it from a good place you know yeah. you're trying to help then i don't think you're going to do anything wrong so a couple of these people that i, that I spoke to as well and i'm very mindful not to give advice about things that i don't know anything about as well which is why i asked the question because it might i might be able to gain something from you that i might be able to pass yeah back, absolutely. Pa pass back to them um so one or two of them are really, really struggle with getting over the, the, the way and the, the day that they found out about what it was that was up with one of their parents or their brother or sister. Yeah. Do you remember that moment? Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, certain moments are sketched into your mind. Um, I'd finished school and my mum was in hospital, actually, with my dad, and my brother came and picked me up, and it was like a big thing that all four of us needed to go to the hospital. So my brother picked me up, all four of us were in the car, we went to the hospital, um, we were sat on Mo's bed, and then she told us. Um, oh, oh she, she told you? Well, yeah, she told yeah. us, um, which was, yeah, that was pretty, like, a rough situation to be in. And, yeah. and we all reacted really differently, which is really, and I can remember it, but like, we all reacted totally differently. Um, like I left, uh, some people, um, like I think my sister kind of just like was in total denial from like the beginning. Well, I don't know whether they'll want me talking about it, but you know, yeah. like it was very much like, no, 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 no. Uh, I, I think my brother, I think Alex hugged my dad and then I think I just left the room and was just like, I don't know what to do with this. Like, there is no right way of no. dealing with and that. And I ended up in yeah. like the, uh, in a bathroom somewhere in the hospital just like sobbing like crying yeah. my eyes out and then I went back and then was trying to like okay what should I do now um, and the same sort of thing happened when my mum died like we were all in the hospital like room as well um, and I can remember I, I've got a very vivid memory of like my grandma screaming and then I like went out the room like I couldn't cope with it just left the room my oldest brother Seb followed me 
I think I fainted three times in the process wow. of getting from there to the bathroom. He caught me every time, like I fell. I think I, there was a set of stairs and I was going, I don't really remember the getting down the stairs, but he, like, I just remember him like lifting me up and yeah, like, yeah. carried me. We were in the men's room. We went into the men's toilet as well. I remember that. Yeah. And he was just there, like, with both of us just crying. He's trying to be the, like, grown adult. Grown adult like, support, looking after yeah. everyone. He was 23, like, he's not old at all, yeah. but he was there, like, trying to sort himself out, being like, you know, egg himself on like I think he slapped himself around the face a couple of times just being like stop it you got to be there for the people that are around you blah, blah, blah. Yeah. and then we went back up to the room and it was just like yeah I mean there are <clears throat> certain moments in your life that you can remember do you have a vivid, do you of. have a vivid memory of, so that's obviously a really challenging time mm. you also had another challenging time regarding so you had a lot of success with coming through the ranks really really quickly with uni with rugby with wasps and then going into the england setup and getting your first run out and all this stuff you then you're included in the six nations with england in i think 2020 yeah which obviously is a huge huge yeah, accolade yeah. um after you've got your, your professional contract offered the year before and then you've had the injury and in training yeah which again after reading loads of stuff on bbc and stuff about how that's come about again it's got to be a huge knock to the system really because you you far your career fast tracked yeah you obviously you know these people that have been doing this a long time hold you in high regard at such a you know different phases at a young age not expect you know you've, you've galvanized and forced those opportunities on yourself because you're good enough and people have got you know people have got i understand you're going to be a great player and you've got a lot you know captaincy at wasps you know it's a massive honor and you know there could have been tons of people that could have done that role potentially and you were the one that were chosen at that time yeah how you know what's the situation now you mentioned before we went sort of live on this that you on your way to have some more <laughs> more work done and therapy and stuff like that so what how did it come about and how are you getting on with it now yeah um uh yes yeah, so i was in a training session um just before the autumn internationals actually started so uh, a couple of days before our first test against new zealand yeah um we i got a ball from the line out on our five meter um and like we're playing England v England, we know what we're doing. Uh, the opposition don't compete; they just flood through. Yeah. Go for the ball, you know. Very sensible decision in that in that situation. Um, so I get tackled. Probably my own fault. I, I fought back against it because I was so I knew I was so close to the try line. So I fight back against it. Uh, try and drive back, and then I think because I delay it, then all the forwards then join, and I just get like mushed underneath this like heap of forwards. <laughs> um, which for any scrum half is probably not the place you want to be. But no. I think my head ends up in a bit of a vulnerable place. So I was because I was driving forward, head tucked, the, all the the weight and the pressure and everything came through my head and sort of yeah. compressed my a neck to my chest. Um, and that was it was it was painful from the get go. And I remember being like, oh my neck, and everybody kind of like. Stop. You know, people take head injuries and neck injuries very seriously, and yeah. rugby we're very fortunate with that. So everyone stopped, backed off, physios and whatever came over. Um, it was very, it was sore from the get go, but um, we just thought it was a soft tissue thing. So yeah. you know, as is relatively standard in rugby. Um, but like, I don't, I really don't take painkillers. Like, I just never really take them. Um, but for this particular one, I was like you going down to yeah. the doctor, being like, "Yeah, can I have some more of those? Like, I definitely need more of those." Um, I lived with a, a hot water bottle around my neck for probably the next six days 
it was only two, three days till we played a game of rugby. Yeah. Um, and like one of the girls, Rido, asked me, she, I, I was making a coffee. She goes, yeah, Claude, how's your neck? This is like two days later. And I was like, yeah, it's good, thanks, mate. And like turned my entire <laughs> body yeah, and I was like, yeah, yeah. I, think, I think it's really good, actually, yeah. And she just like burst out laughing. and was like, are you joking me? Like, <laughs> you can't move. <laughs> you've not even registered that you haven't even turned your head. You've just turned my, your entire body. Um, but no, it was okay. So we, we treated it as, as soft tissue. That's what, what we assumed it to be. Um, I played the game against New Zealand play the second game, play the third game against Canada. And then after that, a few more symptoms sort of started creeping up and um, a few things. That's crazy that you've gone and played three games yeah, after you've done it. And retrospectively, a few things that happened in those three weeks, we were like, oh, maybe they were related. But at the time, like they were all really like innocuous. So I had like a pain in this finger on my left hand and it was like, um, it was like it being like popped out or I'd caught it in a bib or caught it in a shirt or something yeah. and it was like a really weird it was like an achy like an achy pain and I remember going to physio being like this is so strange like I, I don't no relate you know you didn't feel it was no like and I was like I don't, don't remember doing anything and they were like oh I think you've just aggravated the capsule and I was like oh okay fair enough like that makes sense um, I must have caught it and not not yeah. realising the moment I'd caught it um, and then I was getting pain in my lat um, but I'd also in the first game popped a sublux my thumb so I'd been for an MRI scan on my thumb, and in the MRI for an MRI scan, you literally sit like like this. Yeah, yeah. For like forty-five minutes. So I was like, oh, it's just, it must be really tight. You've from just strained it. The scan, that, yeah. From being in that weird position and not being able to move for forty minutes. Um, so then that one, I kind of explained through that, and and then, and then after the Canada game, I was getting like my whole arm was just, um, like achy, pins and needly, like felt totally different as well. felt totally yeah. different to this one like all the time um, and then after that it remained like that for about six seven weeks which was quite scary to have your whole long time, left yeah. arm um, like on the verge of going into sort of pins and needles at, at every moment um, so that was a bit bizarre we ended up obviously getting an MRI we got an MRI scan pretty quickly um, as soon as that came up after the Canada game um, and turned out I had um, a what did I have? A, uh, essentially a bulging disc. A bulging disc at one of the levels which had compressed my spinal cord and moved it to yeah. one side. And then I had two more bulging discs above it that were also cutting off the nerve root a little bit. But it was the one at the lowest level that was causing the real issues because obviously my spinal cord was displaced. And yeah. on the MRI scan, it's really bizarre. Like the, It just doesn't look right. Um, and obviously, that's a very quick decision for the surgeon. He was like, you can't play. You yeah. can't play any contact sport with a with a scan like that with a neck like that because um, you know a, a degree of contact the spinal cord was already pushing against the bone at the back Yeah. so if you get another bash to that you're playing you're, the wrong sport yeah for, basically yeah, yeah. you're instantly damaging your spinal cord which you know is not something that anybody goes out of their way to do no um, so that ruled me out of rugby and I kind of went from sitting on a bench uh, and being told oh you might not you might not play for the next five weeks and I remember being devastated at that point and I was like because you're like doing was, really well yeah, and, like, yeah, and, like, and that was the first tournament that I came out of was like oh I, I finally kind of like showed a little bit of what I can do and I yeah. was you know I was happy for probably the first time ever about my performance the first one more than the calendar one and the second New Zealand one was alright but the um, I was just like oh right at the very yeah. very at the wrong time yeah. breaking through and just sort of like trying to put your name on a shirt sort of thing and then it happens and they were like you might not play till the big game which was mid-December it was actually our 27th of December Christmas game and I was yeah. like okay that's devastating I had a little cry to myself really and this upset. was last and this year was, wasn't it yeah, yeah 2021 yeah 
uh, yeah, the crisp was just gone. Yeah. Um, and I found that in itself really upsetting. And then we went for the scan, and then um, even from that, it was like, okay, maybe two, three weeks, and it might, we'll rescan it and see if it's any better. And we went through that process of scanning every like two, three weeks for probably two months. Um, and each time it'd be like, oh, maybe it'd be better this time, maybe it'd be better this time. No change. No change. Right. No, no change at all over the whole time. Um, and then I sat, we sat down with a couple of surgeons and they gave me a couple of surgical options. Um, and it took me a long time to decide whether to have the surgery or not to have the surgery. And that was that hung over me like all day, every day, you know. How long did it um, take to make the decision, sir? Because you didn't have surgery. No, did I didn't. The the I mean, the first time surgery was put on the table was in, I think, January. Right. Um, it wasn't until being in March, I think I decided not to have surgery. But in, in that time, I had a second, like a different surgical option put on the table. Yeah. Um, but I ended up turning it down because, you know, I spoke a lot with my family. I'd obviously come late to rugby, which I think was quite an influencing factor in it too, okay. in terms of, um, you know, my entire life hadn't been around rugby and I'd already achieved a lot of, in what I, in the time that I had had no I yeah. hadn't achieved what I wanted to I hadn't gone to the World Cup I was I hadn't played in that Six Nations I you know I didn't feel like I'd earned the shirt yet like yeah. I hadn't put my name on that shirt um, but having said that you know the surgery was kind of okay you're going to have one surgery you might then need a second surgery if you have the second surgery you're going to retire and it was these are the risks of the surgery and, and it kind of when I weighed it all up I was like whoa and I'm 26 and I'm yeah. deciding to have this you know quite intrusive surgery on my neck and they're coming through the front which also you know had additional risk factors of like um like little things like your your voice box might be damaged and uh your uh vocal cords might be damaged and you'll have like a husky voice for the rest of your life and I was like okay like I'm not against the idea but you know it's just another thing to consider. But I suppose those sort of things are like they're big life body changes yeah well, maybe I don't, I, don't, I don't want to speak for you but that, that in my head would come above going back and playing rugby again as much as you're passionate about rugby yeah this is this is like your life that's potentially what changing yeah yeah that's the way I kind of had to try and see it and like obviously there's the risk of as there is any spinal surgery there's a risk of paralysis from surgery itself yeah. and I was just like um, scary though that yeah was. it was ter it was terrifying uh, and that you kind of you're throwing a stat and you play that stat over and over in your head and you're like okay would I play a game of roulette for that stat and I'd be like no, you wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not the same at all, obviously, but I was kind of like, no, I wouldn't. Okay, so, and I could live my entire life. The only thing I couldn't do was contact rugby. I couldn't do yeah. contact sport. I could yeah. go and play touch rugby if I wanted to. I could go, um, I could play every sport under the sun as long as there's no contact element. Um, so I was just like, I am having this neck surgery purely to allow me to play rugby, no, yeah. no other reason. Yeah. Um, and I ended up just not not being able to justify it in my yeah. head however important rugby was to me I, I couldn't justify that, yeah. it um, so I turned it down uh, which means that I'm basically in a waiting game so so where is it at the minute like what what, what is this so that was January we're now June yeah June I nearly forgot where it was then June yeah. going into July so what what's the kind of update um, on that now so I'm still I'm still I've been training fully the entire time in terms of everything bar the actual contact part yeah um, so you're still training now with wasps yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I've I've been a nuisance running defence basically all season, yeah. like the ultimate team bin juice. So yeah. <laughs> that's been me, um, just trying to help the team develop as much as possible. Um, 
But yeah, so I'm just waiting really for someone to turn around and tell me that I can return to contact support, which is is a possibility. Um, I have to get scan results, and the scan results then lead to um, if it improves itself, which is you know that's a possibility. So it could improve itself. Um, if that happens, then I get to do a return to contact, return to play, and that kind of that side's still open. Yeah. Um, what does your gut tell you? What What do you think is going to happen? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I've. You've got to prepare for both. You've got to prepare for both outcomes, 100%. Yeah. Um, I think I'm in best case position for things to get better, so that I'm I'm trying to see it with a yeah. positive yeah, yeah. light. Um, so I think I've got to be okay with the fact that, yeah, when I made the decision, I may have fully retired myself from rugby forever, yeah. um, and that's okay. Um, and I might never, you know, have, having made that decision. Uh, I might never have played rugby again. I might never play rugby again. But then, at the same time, like, <laughs> I am like young relative to the injury and and whatever. Yeah. Um, fit, healthy. So, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that my body can repair itself. Um, which I is there's no real rule around that, and there's no time scales that anyone can put on it. It's just kind of. Yeah. keep checking in on it keep yeah, doing the basically. work keep checking in uh keep training in the background it's really nice that wasps have kept that door open for you though yeah no they've been hugely supportive of it um so yeah it's, it's been pretty special so being able to train has been yeah huge for me as a person like that must give you a kind of a lift in your own head being able to still be in amongst the people the yeah. You might not be able to go and do the contact, but you're still amongst the team environment. Absolutely. It's not a total, you know, you're not cut off at the unbidden yeah. record. You're out living your own life. Um, yeah. Still very attached, which is, which has been great. And it's meant that I felt, I still felt like a huge part of the Wasp squad and, yeah. and our development, our progress this season, like trying to help players, trying to feed in where I can, obviously um, still build my skill set up. So still doing loads of passing and kicking sessions. My fitness is definitely gone like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or at least disappeared <laughs> to an extent um you just don't get it from not playing yeah. not playing matches but yeah. um hopefully that is something that i can build back up again quickly yeah. if i need to yeah um but yeah like i'm still there's still a hopeful part of me so what, what are the goals for you moving forward then just not just rugby just um, life moving forward what what are you kind of punching for yeah, so I was um, speaking to PwC, which is a company and like consultancy basically, yeah. and um, I want to go into uh, consulting in environmental, and social, and governments, ESG consulting. Um, so is this your Let's Talk? 1%? Yeah, yeah, so it ties in with my blog. Yeah. Um, so that's the kind of like outside of rugby career aspirations, um, trying to get into that side of things so working with huge corporates and big companies and little ones too yeah. um to sort of align their strategies and and the way that they're gonna build over the next while towards uh, targets that are good for the environment and good for the social progressions and good for um you know society and how we live our lives and whatever yeah. else so so where's that passion come from um, that's completely different yeah totally different to rugby um i don't know i think i've always I've always sort of cared about it. So when I was little, I'd run around after my siblings turning the taps off when we brushed our teeth. Yeah. Like I was just like, I didn't understand why they didn't why they didn't turn the tap off. Yeah. And they'd like bug me by like brushing the teeth and like turning it back on yeah. again. And I'd oh, be okay. like, you are wasting water. And it really, like it really got me every time. I'd be like, what is wrong with you? Just turn the tap off. Like it's not difficult, just turn it off. Um, so I do stuff like that. Or I'm constantly, like I'm constantly thinking about like, 
what's bad or if I put something in the wrong rubbish bin, I'll think about it for ages and then have to go back probably and get it out the wrong rubbish bin and put it into the recycling or whatever, yeah. sort it out and whatever. Um, like even this, like I was drinking this and it was bugging me a little bit because it's a bottle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, I, but no, I think these ones are recyclable, so uh, yeah. Hopefully. Yeah, I, th- I think they are. Um, I just wanted to make sure you were hydrated because it's I hot. Know, oh my God, it's so hot as well. Uh, and I really appreciate it. It is, look, it's recycled, the whole thing's recycled. There you go, I meant that. There you go. <laughs> um, but no, I think I was always sort of aware of it, interested in it. And then when I was at uni, I did my dissertation on fair trade and sort of like okay. um, the reasons why people were motivated to buy fair trade, um, which is really interesting. And I tried to relate it to like people's personality traits and whether being a certain personality, a certain type of person aligned you more to um, like the brand images and conceptions of fair trade and whether that yeah. kind of aligned. It was just a really interesting thing to go into. Um, so I just sort of guess. I looked into that, I studied more into it, I picked up a couple of modules at uni that aligned a little bit more with it, um, and then it just sort of stayed something that I've interested in. Like, um, some of my favourite shops are those, it's really, I'm sure it's really boring, but some of my favourite shops are those ones that are like, um, you go in and you bring all your jars and you refill okay, everything, yeah, like yeah, I yeah. just get, I just love it. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why, I just absolutely love it. Like, I know that I'm spending like four times as much as I would at the uh, at the supermarket, but I'm yeah. like, oh yeah, bought my jars, fill them all up. Like, I just, yeah, I just love it. <laughs> yeah, well look, if, that, if that's a passion that that's, you know, you're trying to infuse around other people and businesses and stuff, and like, you need people like you to start that conversation off. Yeah, and that's know, what- For it to snowball, hopefully, and then, you know, that you know, you'd like to think in the future that there'd be different, legislations and different laws around you know on, on the wider scale for yeah. businesses to make sure that people are doing it doing things in a certain way to kind of all feed into that kind of climate change goal and aspirations and stuff yeah absolutely that was the kind of idea so i guess the the career stuff is kind of top top heavy you know working with big companies and corporates and everything and then the blog is very much like working with individuals yeah and just sort of like for me it was just about staying aligned to myself and committing to it and then others just creating conversations yeah yeah, um, yeah suddenly if you show that you're interested in something then other people are like oh i'm actually yeah. really interested in that too like we'll talk about it or yeah um which has been probably the best part for me just like so many people are really interested in it and yeah. uh, want to talk about it and where can people find it um it's on my the easiest way is actually through my instagram um yeah. which sounds a bit you know you put quite a bit of it on yeah <laughs> yeah twitter and stuff as well don't you yeah yeah um but yeah twitter and instagram because i haven't set up a I tried to do the domain, but it was all too complicated. I'm not very tech savvy. Yeah. Uh, I tried about 10 times and eventually gave up. So um, there's a link to it on my Instagram and, and I think on Twitter and LinkedIn if you're on LinkedIn. Yeah, we'll make sure we share it and stuff when, yeah. when, we, go, when we go live and stuff. So is that something you regularly blog about? Um, so it used to be a lot more regular. Yeah. Um, I did it every month. It's now a lot less. Having said that, like, I've got, I've, I've been a, it's kind of like you with your podcast. Like, I've got... I've, probably five articles already written that yeah. I just need to put on the blog. Yeah, and yeah, I yeah. just, I don't know, like I, ju- I, I judge myself and I'm like, is that good enough? Are people gonna wanna read it? Like, yeah. is it interesting? Is it valid? Like, um, and then you kind of are like, what leg do I have to stand on to talk about it? Yeah. But then it's just the- It's just view, a blog like the is bullet, your views put it at the end of the day, yeah. Just chuck it on there. If people read it, they read it. If they don't, they don't. Like it, do- it really doesn't matter. Yeah. So like, I, I definitely write more than I 
put on the blog. But I think you should go I and put. I think you should it put it all up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to check in in a couple of weeks. Yeah. And be like, Wait, where's the blog? I haven't You'll seen see it. You'll see like five, six posts just all posted on the same day. Listen, you're but... going to get a message from me every week until <laughs> something goes up. But no, I think it's important. I think, you know, everyone's entitled to their views. And that's the whole point of having a podcast or a blog or a social media account or whatever. Everyone's entitled to to give their say. doesn't mean that everyone has to listen to it. But it, no. mean, you know, it's like, it sounds like you're talking sense. So, yeah, you know, I think there will be people that will probably share your views as well. So, so look... There's been tons of stuff we've spoken about, which is great. Um, where, if, if people want to sort of reach out about anything in particular, whether it be, you know, your rugby, anything personally, stuff around your your, your Let's, Talk, uh, Let's Talk 1% blog, where can they find you as best way to do it? Yeah, uh, drop me a message on any of the social media is probably best. So yeah. um, Instagram is Claude underscore McDonald. Uh, I spent my whole life being called Claude. I don't there think you go. anyone's ever called me Claudia. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Twitter is cf underscore mcdonald i think oh i'm well done for remembering that double checking well done for remembering that either way when the podcast goes but live yeah. we'll we'll tag tag you in on the stuff and people will be able to see it nice yeah and, easy anyway. and yeah feel free to reach out talk ask me any questions i'll respond to but yeah even if it's just a thanks or enjoyed this bit then i'd love to hear it yeah do, do you know what i think there's been people understand this when they listen and watch the podcast but the reason why I wanted to get you on is because I think you've got a very unique journey in areas that people may not have themselves a um, experience in, i.e. elite sport or, you know, other areas that have been more challenging, like, yeah. you know, losing family or, or whatever. So I think there's tons of takeaways and it's been really, really good because I think you speak about it in a re I think you speak about it in a very positive i'll get an air of positivity no matter what an air of competitiveness but the right level of competitiveness um i get an air, air of obsessiveness but i mean that in a, in a positive way because i think that if you can channel that obsession into something then you can go and do something special and you've clearly done that with what you've done with your rugby and stuff like that you know you're in an envious position as well you've got family around you you've got tons of stuff going for you and you've done a lot in your 26 years and i think it's been really really interesting i've certainly taken a lot of stuff from it and I always really listen to these episodes end up writing loads more notes and different things that I've <laughs> taken from it and stuff so I'll, if I'm speaking on behalf of ever, anybody uh, watching it I think there'll be tons of takeaways for people and knowing about the demographic that we have and what they want to hear and what they want to listen to there's tons of people that are going to be you know really aligning themselves with some of the things that you've been through and also the position that you're in at the moment as well and I just think that you've got a general positive optimism around dealing with situations and that's the air that I get even though you've been through good and bad yeah. but everybody has yeah, and it's how you think, deal yeah. with it that defines who you are absolutely just, I think just talking about it like even us just talking about it here I'm like oh yeah, yeah that's you know you realise that things aren't as bad as they seem like even when I talk about them I talk about them more positively than perhaps I do otherwise you're yeah. like okay it's not that bad like <laughs> yeah, yeah but also you've yeah. been really honest around certain things and what you found mm -hmm. hard and what you struggled with and I think there's been some really good takeaways for people that are in the same boat or they may be in the same boat at some point and they can hopefully take some some you know information to try and deal with their situation yeah. so yeah just from knowing the audience i think there's tons of stuff there that's little nuggets of things as well as your just general journey that they'll be loving to sort of listen to and, and watch and so. stuff so hope i hope so, so as well hopefully. so no thanks for coming on claudia i really appreciate you giving us some time and uh, we'll let you go amazing thanks so much for having me since this podcast was recorded, Claudia is back playing and scoring tries for England and is part of the recently announced World Cup squad for the Red Roses. Well done, Claudia.